This is Truth Encounter, and we're continuing our look at Christmas from the perspective of the Old Testament. Turn to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 1, through Isaiah 9, 7, and let's join our study leader, Dave Wordson, as he explores our response to adversity and the downers of life. Remember Job's wife, when Job was going through a very depressing time? And Job had boils all over him, and he was covered with soot and charcoal and sitting on this ash heap. Man, just a super guy. What a picture of the Christmas spirit. His dear darling wife came up to him and said, Job, why don't you get it over with? Curse God and get on with it. Die. Really encouraging. You love wives like that. They really keep you going on those ash heaps, right? And what did Job do? You see, Job was one man. Very special man. His family could be taken away from him. His kids could die. His physical health could go. But he knew that even on the ash heap of life, with boils over, all over his body, Job still knew if he had God, if he still had God, even if he had to argue with God, even if he had to tell God all of his troubles, and I'm not telling you to keep all your anger inside because you read the book of Job. Job spills all that anger on God. Man, he just tells God off. And God tells him off. They have a real living, vital relationship. But the one thing Job never did is he never turned his face. He never cursed God. Because when you do curse God like that, and I'm not talking about just a flippant remark. I'm talking about when very deep in your being, you just totally reject him and turn away from him in complete darkness. You walk into the land of the dead. Why didn't Job curse God and die? Because to curse God like that is to die. Because all the love, the joy, all the happiness, all the enthusiasm, all the fun, all the happiness, listen, everyone, it's really true. It's found in God alone. You know, there was a precious group of disciples that kept following Isaiah in the midst of this darkness. 800 years before Christ came, when the Assyrians devastated their, their, their country, they still hung on to those promises. And that's why we move into chapter 9. We move from chapter 8 with wizardry and the occult and war and famine. And we move down through time. And in chapter 9, verse 1, we jump 800 years. The people that held on to those promises in the time of Isaiah really never saw their fulfillment in this life. But they go on record this morning as a source of hope and confidence for us because they were disciples that hung on to the Word of God. And God came through. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. God's going to take away the gloom. For those who are in distress, in the past He humbled the land of Zebulun, and the land of Naphtali. But in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You know, to be honest with you, the reason that a lot of you are blue, that are older, and I've had several, if I've, if I've had one of you tell me this, I've had ten. The reason some of you adults are blue is because you live in the land of the shadow of death. 
And at the holidays, it comes out. Because you have to go back and visit your parents that are still alive. You see, what happens at Christmas is it triggers all those emotions. Do you remember when you were little Joshua, just five years old, bouncing into your living room? And you remember a strong, healthy dad that was a source of strength for your life. He was stronger than you. He was bigger than you. He provided for you so well that you never even thought of your needs. But now when you drive those miles, you go back to a mom and dad who are stooped over, and some of their minds aren't nearly as good as they used to be. Some of you are making real hard decisions about medical needs, and that gives you the blues. Because every one of us live in the land of the shadow of death. You see, you get to be in middle age, and then you realize, hey, I'm on a bell-shaped curve, and I'm now going on the back side of the curve. You see, we're different than almost any other of God's creatures on the earth. You see, my dog that died one Sunday morning didn't think about it at all on Saturday. We had no psychotherapy sessions. He didn't come into my office. You know, I really feel terrible. I really need some help. I just don't handle the problem of death. You ever notice that about animals? They get run over by a car. That's it. Never worry about it at all. They just... Now, some of you try to live like that. Some of you, in your heart, you say, well, that's just the way I am. Baloney. You're worried. You're worried. So am I. It's one of the scariest thoughts you can ever face. In fact, a lot of psychologists will say that's one of the deepest fears that you have. You say, Dave, what are you talking about? When you feel those blues coming upon you, when you stop losing that Christmas joy, think on him. Adore him. Even death doesn't have to be scary if you have him. Because he's the light of life. The people walking in darkness have seen a great life. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoiced when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for the burning, will be fuel for the fire. The Savior came to the people walking in darkness, but most of the people didn't listen. And so the day of harvest celebration for the majority of the nation Israel, never came to fruition. The day of burying the warrior's boot, the warrior's sandals, they would think of, didn't come. And so down through the centuries, there's kind of a mixed message when you think about Christmas. We sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. But the earth hasn't received her king yet. Jesus Christ is not welcome in the United Nations. He's not that welcome in Washington. Jesus Christ is not a welcome king on the earth. We like him as a little baby in a manger, a symbol of innocent, unprotected love. We like that symbol. 
But the world is not ready to believe that he's going to come back. Revelation 19 says he's going to come back as a warrior, as a great general riding a white horse, and he's going to conquer the nations of the world. You see, war is really a big problem. Those of us that were in college in the 60s had buddies, some of my friends right here in the church, they lost half their football team in Vietnam. War is a, a big one. And we don't live in a world where war has been vanquished. The reality of our world is we live in a world right now where war and is producing the same kind of starvation and devastation that it produced in the Assyrian invasion. And what's the answer to that? What are you going to give your life to? Some of our college students are back, and the college students could stand up and testify right now. There are young people in their college that are really concerned about some of those needs. There's young people in their college that, that really want to do something for the world. They're just full of idealism. When you travel in Brazil down in South America, and you travel in some of the other countries down there, there are lots of young people that want to do something. And yet many of them hook up with the wrong ideology. And the reason they hook up with the wrong ideology is because many times we as born-again believers don't really believe it. You see, we don't really believe that Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to be the answer to mankind. Because if we really believe it, then we live it. And if we really live it, the whole area will know about it. You see, Jesus Christ is not just church. Jesus Christ is not just a nice, warm, gooey feeling that we're able to bring into this community. Jesus Christ is the truth. And I ask you, I ask myself, do we really believe? If you have the Christmas blues right now, you've probably lost the deep commitment to the fact that there's a rider that's going to come. You see, some of you girls got married and you were looking for a prince and you got carried away all right, but with a frog. And you're depressed about it. The reason you're depressed is your husband can never be your prince. He just can't. He's flesh and blood. He's got all kinds of problems. If you make your husband your prince, he'll end up enslaving you and you'll end up so angry at him, you will walk out in rebellion and anger and frustration because your heart was built for only one prince. Fellas, you were made to be ruled by only one king. If you got a good case of the Christmas blues, there's a really good chance that you've stopped adoring him. He's really worth adoring. He's a savior and a lord that will one day come and burn all the weapons of war. Sorry, General Dynamics. Jesus Christ will dematerialize all the F-16s, if they're even here then. And he won't have to have laser technology to do it. He'll just speak the word, and it's gone. Brothers and sisters, the Jesus Christ of Isaiah 8 and 9 can fly very well. He still has the answer to the deepest need. You see, as we close this morning, let's think about his name. One of the big crises of our day is that even if our president is telling us the truth, we are not 
sure. Let me say that again. One of the biggest crises of our day, and our young people are very deeply concerned about it, is that our president today, he might be telling the truth. But I bet you there's not a person in this room who would stand up and say, yes, I'll go to the stake. I believe with all my heart he is telling the truth. Would anybody do that? Maybe we have some. Now, I want you to think very deeply about that. I want you to think about the crisis in leadership and what it is is the crisis of depending upon man. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. As Americans, we get all hyped up about leadership. We get all hyped up about, oh, this man's going to give us the answer. And then we crush him. We crush him. Because we're depending upon the wrong Savior. No man on earth, Time Magazine wrote, no man on earth can be the President of the United States. We'll kill him. Because we rest on him so hard. And then when there's any kind of failure, then we're ready to jump like vultures and devour. But it's a terrible crisis when we're not sure about truth. You know, brothers and sisters, there's only one governing official that will always tell you the truth. Because his very name is the truth. They're famous verses, but often we don't take the time to really think about it. It says, for to us, the reason that famine's going to disappear from the earth, the reason that war is going to disappear from the earth is because to us, a child is born. Very interesting word. A little child's going to be born. Most of us don't think of a great governing ruler that's going to demolish all the armies of the world that he's going to be born as a little child, but he was. For unto us a child is born, to us a son, the ultimate son, the only unique son is to be born. And the government will be on his shoulders. And the reason the government belongs on his shoulders is, number one, he is the wonderful counselor. You know why I'm going to follow Jesus Christ? Because he doesn't need any counselor. One thing I've decided is that what a leader really doesn't need, if he's ultimately going to be an absolute, truthful, all-wise leader, he doesn't need counselors. You know why he doesn't need counselors? Because you can't depend upon human counselors. They don't always tell you the truth, including me and Dr. Jerry here and Dr. Dave and all of us. How many of you have ever met a person who always, always, always told you the truth? and knew exactly what was going on in your heart. I want you to think about it. You see, in order for a man to rule the world, he needs to not need counselors. What we really need is a judge who, when a criminal walks into the presence of the judge, the judge already knows what's happening in that criminal's heart. And he can tell the prisoner, the man in the courtroom, exactly what's going on. You thought this, you did this, you're going to think this. How would you like to stand before a judge like that? What do you think that would do with the crime rate in the world? And so this baby that's going to be born, his name is going to be called a wonder of a counselor. And it's not just speaking of somebody that's really excellent handling a, a therapeutic couch. It's not really talking about that. It's more of a governmental scene of a king that doesn't need to have any advisors because he already knows everything. He already knows every heart. He already knows every fact. That's what it means that his name shall be called a wonderful counselor.
the mighty God. El Gabor is the Hebrew there. El Gabor. Gabor means a great mighty hero, a great soldier. Patton, MacArthur, Eisenhower all wrapped up and then multiplied a million times. Mighty. And this son that's going to be born is going to be able to take the name God. The mighty God. He will be God. This little child mysteriously will be mighty God. The everlasting Father. You see, we can relate to a, our leader and we can begin to be awestruck by a leader who's so mighty and awesome and powerful that he can just zap F-16s and they dematerialize. But that's scary. That's frightening. Some of you say, Dave, I know it's going to take that to be able to get this world tamed, to be able to cut out and incise the disease of sin. I know it's going to take the mighty God, all-powerful and military strength, omnipotent. But David, that doesn't really help me at this Christmas with my blues because what I really want, to be honest with you, Dave, what I really want deep in my own heart, I desperately need a daddy. Let me say that again. I think that the reason that some of you have the blues is not because you don't have enough food. I really concluded from looking around this morning, that's not most of your problem. Very few of you have been bloodied this week by an Assyrian warrior or any other kind of warrior unless you got in a fight at school. So you're not really into that. As I look around this room, if the truth were known, many of you deep in your hearts, when you were little bitty kids didn't have a real daddy. You tried at Christmas time to climb up into his lap and he threw you off on the floor. You tried to get him to go out and play basketball with you and he never, never, not just once in a while, but he never had time. Some of you never had a daddy who put his arm around you at Christmas time and said, I want you to know one thing at this Christmas season. You are the greatest gift God ever gave to me on the earth. You are my special son. You are my special daughter. You are really my beloved. In fact, some of you very deep in your heart are really torn up because of that. And some of you are just beginning to realize that you never really had a daddy that from the bottom of their heart looked at you right in the eye and said, I really love you. In fact, some of you still have a father and mother who to look at you right in the eye, I mean to look at you point blank and say, I want you to know, son and daughter, I really love you. I really care about you. Or a mom that would say that. Some of your parents have already gone on and they'll never be able to say it on this earth. It makes you angry. It makes you depressed. It makes you fight to get even. It makes you fight to be accepted. You just can't open your hand. I've got good news at this Christmas season. For unto us a child was born. His name is not only called the Wonderful Counselor. His name is not only called the Mighty God, El Gabor. But he's the Everlasting Daddy. The Everlasting Father. Jesus Christ, the one whose birthday we celebrate, is an eternal daddy. 
And some of you, if I can use a little bit of figurative language, some of you at this Christmas season need to let him hug your blues away. If you've invited Jesus into your heart, Jesus comes to you because of the Trinity. It's perfectly legitimate to talk about Jesus as a daddy. The text in Isaiah is doing that. He is the eternal daddy. He'll never die. My mom died. I'll never have a mom here on earth again. My dad, our earthly parents don't last forever. And they're not perfect. And they don't meet all of our needs. But there is an eternal daddy that it can enable you to grow up and forgive and to stop trying to make an earthly parent to do what they might never be able to do, you can begin to let the eternal daddy meet the deepest needs of your human heart. And he's the only one that can do it. Do you ever think of a wonder of a wonder? That here you have a king who's so powerful that he dematerializes weapons. But he's a daddy who brings all the little children and when Jesus was here on the earth, the disciples tried to keep the children away, but Jesus was always bringing the children up into his lap. Oh, that picture means so much to me. You know why? Because he's an eternal daddy. And if I'm really walking close to him, and if you daddies at this Christmas season are really walking close to him, you're not going to be so burdened. You're not going to be so mature. You're not going to be so much a man of this world that you don't have time to be a dad. Isn't it unbelievable to follow a Savior who called us to a life of losing our life for Him? But when you lose your life in Him, you end up being able to give it to your wife, to your kids, to your work associates, because He's the eternal Father. His final attribute is He's the Prince of Peace. He's the only one that can bring peace on earth, goodwill towards men. He's the one that's going to bring outer peace for this planet. At this Christmas season, he can bring inner peace deep in our own hearts, which is where peace for the world needs to begin. Deep in the human heart, there needs to be a ceasing of hostilities between God and man. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It doesn't depend upon human endeavor, but the zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Do you believe that? you really believe it? Think on it. Do you believe that he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace? Just think on it for a time. The Savior calls you to celebrate at this Christmas. I want to get some of you moms and dads off the dime. It's a happy Christmas. Really excited about this one. Boy, the holidays. Brothers and sisters, it's a holy day. You got that? It's not just absence from work. 
It's a holy day. Some of you haven't let your heart fly in ages. You know why? But you haven't come to adore Him. I promise you, I promise you from the bottom of my heart, from the experience of my own life, that unto us a child has been given. His name is the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Daddy, the Prince of Peace. As I begin to think on these things, as I begin to focus on Him, the Christmas blues turn into joyous Christmas lights that will never burn out.